Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Let's pray for you, Jane. Father, I want to thank you for Jane. Thank you for her ministry, for her care, for the way you use her, and for uh, her ongoing pursuit of heaven, to see your kingdom come. Father, would you stir us tonight as she unpacks this passage and speaks into our hearts. Father, we yield to your purpose. Would you give us ears to hear what you want to say through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tim. It is a joy to be here um, back at St. Matt's. Um, as Tim mentioned, I um, was part of the team up at Holy Trinity ooh, about three or four years ago now. And St. Matt's was going and then we were really praying that it would open up and then Tim was made the vicar. And so it's a joy to be here. I'm, I feel almost rooted somehow with you guys because I think what you're doing here is pursuing heaven, is, is baking, breaking boundaries and moving forward. So thank you for inviting me back. And it's all about Jesus. Um, and a little story, I don't know what your image of the Abbey is. The Abbey means about 100 things to different people, or each person has a different view of the Abbey, but it is all about Jesus. And I was reminded of this when, as a fairly new curate last year, I was down to do the remembrance service. And it was in the afternoon, and I thought, oh, great, it's a small event. You know, everything happens in the morning at the Abbey, small event. 
only to find it was the biggest event and it was put in the afternoon because we couldn't fit it in the morning. And I was the preacher. Am I on? Moving around. Um, and I was terrified, absolutely terrified. It was all gowned up, there's choirs, you move in, you move out. And I was fine, and then I was just about getting ready, and I got my message about Jesus. And then Edward, the rector, stood up and he said, I welcome, on behalf of the Queen, I'm the MP for so-and-so, and the Lord left her. <laughs> I, just went, I just went like this. And I thought, oh no. And the Lord said, it's all about you. They, they only need to know about Jesus. When I talked to Bishop Perry about this afterwards, he said, you know, if you open us all up, we're exactly the same. So it doesn't matter what context we're in, it's all about Jesus. And it is a joy to be here. And the worship team, you've moved now, but thank you. It's a joy to be worshipping and to be here. So let's pray before we um, open God's word. Father, we thank you that we can continue in worship by looking at your word. And we pray that you will speak to each one of us. It's such a privilege to have, to hold your word, for new things to open up for each one of us, wherever we are on our journey with you. And we pray that you will speak into the heart and deep into the spirit of each one of us tonight. This church represents breaking branches and moving forward. And Father, we're here instruments called by you and we pray that you will be doing a deep work in us this evening and we pray this in the name of Jesus Amen so the text so I gather you on an exciting journey in Acts what an exciting book if you're an activist and you love things happening Acts is the book for you because it's all happening And I gather we're at the point today of Acts 9, but as you probably know, it's the book continuing from the Gospel of Luke. Um, And we've had the coming of the Holy Spirit, Pentecost, a few weeks ago. Then Peter addresses the crowd, and he says, I will pour out my Spirit. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Something new was happening. Something was breaking into our world that hadn't happened before. And what are we called to do? In chapter 1, verse 38, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So there's wonders, there's signs, there's awe. Something new is happening. And the church and the teaching and fellowship are breaking new boundaries. And 3,000 were added to that number that day. And then you'll have worked through chapter 3 when these signs and wonders, there's the healing of the crippled beggar, there's the sharing of all possessions, but then there's the persecution, apostles put in prison. And amazing things happen when the angel of the Lord appeared and opened the prison's doors and brought them out. And then the stoning of Stephen. And things happen under persecution. Stuart and I lived in China for three years, and you may well have Chinese students who come and worship here. Things happen under persecution. God works through his spirit in in an increased way. So we come to the text today in chapter 9. And just to summarise that, and I'm going to get you to work a little bit this Bible study. If you've got a Bible, do open it. If you've got it on your 
iPad or your phone or something, or if Tim's got some spare Bibles, if you haven't got one, open it at chapter 9. And this is the story of the conversion of Saul, the biggest, most dramatic conversion given to us in word that we can learn from. He was the baddie. He was going to persecute. He was persecuting Christians. He was on the road to Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him and he fell to the ground. God spoke. Saul spoke. The power came from on high. And the power blinded him for three days and he had no food or water. And Ananias came into the picture. God used another person. It's all, our church life is all interconnected. And Ananias listened and obeyed God's instructions to go and find Saul, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen. And he did as God said and laid hands on him, and his sight was immediately restored. And then what happened? The purpose of all this. He got up, he was baptised, he ate physical food, and he regained strength. Power from, on, power from God is an instrument for his church. What a turnaround. What a conversion. What power from on high. And that's the story of the start of the early church. And it's a story for us today as we develop and we step out building God's church. Here at St. Matt's, the power from on high and the, the gift of the Holy Spirit is absolutely amazing. Carry on, guys. Be blessed in what you're doing. God always does a new thing. But a word, just a little word of warning. This is a conversion story of Saul, who later became Paul. But Saul's conversion is not something we necessarily expect to copy or reenact in any particular way. And your conversion and my conversion and your person sitting next to you's conversion, if they're a committed Christian, will be very, very different. God works in a very gentle way and in very different ways for each one of us, depending on how he made us. He never tempts us beyond our control or what we can bear. But in this case, the power came on high. He got zapped. He was on the road to Damascus, and the power fell on from high. So let's work through. The aim of tonight is to let the Bible study just teach us new things in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I've got a couple of aims at the end and I sort of flag it up now that there will be an opportunity to be prayed for, to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour if you don't, haven't made that commitment already. And there will be an opportunity to be prayed for if you feel called as an instrument of God's um, work in his church or in the world. We just want to honour and bless that and lay hands and pray for you. So just bear that in mind as we work through the text and um, let him bless you. So let's just pause and reflect just for a moment on the passage. And as we've paused, just ask you to turn to the person next to you and just, if you, if you want to, just share what questions or challenge that immediately comes to mind. Just have two or three minutes to do that.
so if you've managed to share just one or two thoughts, I'm sure there'll be time afterwards to continue conversations. But just hold on to those questions that have stirred in your heart. That's the Holy Spirit working in our hearts. So let's look at the test. Could I the text? Could I have the first slide? Thank you. So starting at the beginning, meanwhile Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So who was this Saul person? Why was he possessed so much to go from Jerusalem out to Damascus? And it wasn't around the corner. It's about 150 miles from Jerusalem up to Damascus to chase after people from the way. Christians weren't even called Christians. It was called the way. And we pick that up in John, don't we? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And in verse 1, it said he was breathing threats. It's an interesting word to use, breath, breathing. It's almost as like implying that the the living and the evil was being part of his very breathing. He was breathing in and he was breathing out. Something spiritual had got root and alive in him that was not good. He was a very intelligent man. He was well-educated. Saul would have known his um, Old Testament really well. He was a Jew And he was so passionate that this new Christian stuff of people following the way were disrupting true religion that he was possessed enough to travel and go and find the people, bring them back, bound into Jerusalem. It's dramatic stuff. And he was somebody of stature and he was under the authority of the um, authorities. So although he was a Pharisee, He didn't have authority as a Pharisee to go off and get Christians. He had to get this letter for the synagogues so that he had permission to bring them back. So he was under the authority of the Roman rule. And that's quite interesting. His authority wasn't Jesus. His authority was under the Roman rule. And verse 3, it says, He was going along... How often can we be going along in life and and perhaps be going in the wrong direction? He was going along. It would have actually been better if he'd stopped and paused to think, but he didn't. He was going along. He was on a misguided path. He hadn't stopped and taken questions about which direction he was going. And I wonder if we're sometimes sucked into institutions or structures going along and we don't stop to think who actually is Lord of our lives? Who actually is directing our way? And sometimes we need to challenge that. And Saul wasn't the type to stop and check and God knew this. And so, as he was approaching Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around him. Can we have the next couple of slides? So he went from murderer, then we'll go back one. He went from a murderer to a missionary. This is a big turnaround. This is about the most unsuitable person you can think of who might go around and be the most important missionary God God chooses. He went from a murderer to a missionary. 
And then the next slide. He was struck down by the light, the overwhelming light of Jesus. Heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, verse 4 now, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And here we have the encounter with Jesus. This is the encounter. And it's interesting that Jesus speaks first, not Saul. Why do you persecute me? And why would Saul say Lord if he didn't know who he was? I think that's interesting. So if we read it again, it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul asked, who are you, Lord? And the reply came, I am Jesus, whom you, persecute, whom you are persecuting. And the I am is the I am we hear in the Old Testament. It is Lord, Yahweh. And it's the I am that we hear in John's Gospel. I am the true vine. I am the shepherd. It's almost like we, can't, we haven't got a word for the Lord that's all-encompassing. It is, he is I am. And these are the words he uses to reveal himself to Saul at that moment. I am Jesus whom you persecute. We have the next slide. This was just a slightly more contemporary slide if you're into art and different images. But it just shows the light coming through the darkness. And it lights up his face. We can't see the eyes there and the seeing and the blindness comes into the story but the light is so strong and God uses it to blind him. So he was on the floor and you can imagine, start using your senses of smell and sight and sound and imagine what it was like on that dusty road. We don't actually know if it was night or day, but he was travelling, he was travelling with people, with other men probably, and he had a long way to go. But when he was, fell on the floor in the power of God, he couldn't see or do anything else. He met his Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And then in verse 6, there's a very short word in my version that says, but, but, get up and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And I think when you start looking at the text and the language, that word but is like the hinge of the whole gospel. Jesus, who has given his very life, who has suffered on the cross, who has died for us, risen again, ascended into heaven, sent his Holy Spirit, and people still persecute him. He says, I am Jesus. But, and then he gives an instruction, get up, go, I have a job for you to do. So that but hinges the whole of forgiveness. Get up. And then Jesus doesn't leave us without knowledge of what to do next. It's really interesting as he teaches us in the Bible. He gives us instructions, but not the whole plan. 
I don't know about you, but if God had revealed already what's happened in my life all at the beginning, I think I'd have gone and hidden in a hole somewhere. <laughs> it's, um, he reveals just as much as we can cope, that next step, and we give thanks to him for that. He knows how much each of us can take. And so Saul's simple step was, get up and go to the city and then you will be told what to do. And that's really encouraging as a verse for missionaries. In fact, any committed Christians who feel the call of God to do something that's what would seem irrational in the worldly view, to go without knowing what the next step is. It's a gift of faith and conviction, but it needs to be tested through prayer and with others so we don't make mistakes. But he does speak to us to make that next step sometimes when we don't know what will happen next. Remember the story of Jackie Pullinger. Some of you may know this name. She's she's been a missionary when she was about 21. She got on a boat in the UK to go to China to help, uh, well she didn't know what she was going to do she'd been told to go on a boat to China and she went against in fact against advice from from other people but she knew she had to go and she's now 60, between 65 and 70 still working in missionary work in the depths of Hong Kong with drug addicts she heard the call of God as an instrument for his work to go get up and go it is the call of God that we hear And in our lives, it might mean giving up one job before maybe securing the next. Irrational in our money-orientated society. It may be to um, secure a job before going to the next one. And what's interesting in verse 7 is that he had people with him, some men. And verse 7 says, The men who were travelling with him stood speechless because they heard the voice but saw no one. The power had come on high, but he was not alone. Saul was not alone. But he had become totally dependent on the people around him. He had fallen on the road in the blinding power of God and he needed the men around him to pick him up and to lead him because his sight had gone. He had, in effect, had total physical surrender and total spiritual surrender. And then in verse 10, we switch from Saul as the main character to Ananias. Now, Ananias is quite an interesting character in the Bible. It's almost like he's the one and only time he comes and does an amazing job and then we never hear of him again. But this was his particular call and he was in the will of God. And he spoke to him in a dream. And God uses dreams today. It's one of the signs of the Spirit. Um, I haven't asked Stuart actually to share this, but um, our personal example of God speaking in a dream was when um, Stuart was unwell, travelling back from Scotland with our two, where we had two boys then, we've got three now. And he was unwell to drive really. It was a little bit of a risk and it was a struggle. But he made it home safely. And in the night, after all that effort and exhaustion, God spoke to him in a dream and said, I was there. Why did you not ask for my help? And he woke suddenly knowing that God had spoken deeply into his spirit. And that was a gift, 
and it helped build trust in God. The gift was that I'm there even though you didn't ask me. So people um, hear God in dreams. There may well be people who've had dreams about the church and about your work and share your chats over a beer or whatever you do afterwards about God speaking in dreams. So Ananias here was responsive. He said, here I am, Lord, in verse 10. His heart was in a place of worship and he was available. God had chosen him. And God tells him what's happening. And it's interesting he uses prayer to link the fellowship of Saul and Ananias. And I think this is a message for us today because prayer underpins all, who, all we do and all of what we are. And out of that prayer, and that's a huge topic, and Tim might invite me back another day to talk about prayer, God works. And I know there's lots of prayer. It was a joy to pray with the leadership team just before this service. So be encouraged. It's in that place of prayer that God speaks. And God spoke to Ananias and to Saul in prayer. So Saul was expecting Ananias to come and lay hands on him and restore his sight. And Ananias has been told, go, go and find Saul. What a, what a brief. <laughs> Get up, go, lay hands, someone's sight will be restored. But Ananias had a problem. He knew the reputation of Saul. Can't believe that he's asking him to go to this person who persecutes Christians, the baddest person known. And how often have we argued with God? Have we limited God and put him in a box and thinking, not her, not him, Lord, they can't possibly do this. People can be difficult, but God sees differently. We need the grace and we need to pray so we don't miss out on opportunities of who God wants to use for his um, mission. Then in verse 14, there's another battle with the authorities again and it comes head to head. Verse 14... He says, Lord, I've heard about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who invoke your name. And that spells out the battle happening between Jesus coming into the world and the authorities at that time. We have the next slide. Oh, this is a bit of light relief. (laughs) The road to Damascus. And Saul is stopped by the first traffic light on the road to Damascus, third degree sunburn as Jesus speaks to Saul through the light. So we just move on to the next one. I am Jesus. And I think overall in this story, it's the revelation of who Jesus is that's so amazing. And he speaks and reveals himself in different ways to different people. But this is a big, a big story, a big revelation. And then in verse 15, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. And then he adds a really important verse about suffering. 
I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And God doesn't call us to a place of comfort, but he calls us to a place of commitment. But he promises to be, the, to be there in our suffering. He does not promise to spare us from it. And the obedience of Ananias is incredible because the next word is Brother Saul. Brother Saul. He goes and calls this man who's persecuted, who's killed Christians, a brother. His obedience to God as an instrument for his peace is incredible. Brother Saul, Jesus sent me. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptised and after taking some food, he regains his strength. And the reason for this amazing conversion is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to meet with Jesus, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to have spiritual sight restored. And then he went out and was baptised and built his church. So in summary, I'm not sure what you discussed in your pairs, what the Holy Spirit is nudging you, Just raise your hand if the Holy Spirit is just nudging you with a new thing or a new idea or something to pray about. Just raise your hand if you feel that he just wants to teach you a new thing this evening. And there'll be time to pray about that. And my suggestion is that we honour what the Holy Spirit is doing and that we can pray and invite the um, worship team or one or two of you just to play gently as we just allow space for the Holy Spirit to challenge us. Can we ask, do you feel you want to encounter Jesus in a new way? Are you asking, who are you, Lord? And he is speaking, I am Jesus. Are you feeling that you are an instrument of God's mission and purpose in your home, in your family, in your work? And just like affirmation for that, just wanting prayer to, be have, le- um, to have hands laid on you in prayer and honour what God wants to do. And those who are called and are already involved and committed Does God want you to go deeper, to reveal more of who he is? More filling of the Holy Spirit to bring his revelation to build his church. So if the band could just play, we'll just have a time of prayer. I'll ask Tim and maybe one or two others just to come up and I'll just invite you to come forward for prayer. Allow the Lord to speak.
He, he wants our questions. He wants to bless us. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen. I was um, struck by one bit, maybe if God's speaking to someone here about this bit. When um, God speaks to Ananias and tells him to go, um, I think Ananias, understandably, has a few questions about that. He's heard that Saul kind of eats Christians for breakfast. And I think there's something in him that just wants to check that he's heard right and that God knows what he's doing. And... um, I think sometimes we can be a bit like that. You know, God can ask us to do things. And we know we've kind of heard God, but we'd sometimes rather that we hadn't. Or we just want to check that he knows what he's doing. God, you do know what you're doing, don't you, God? Have you ever prayed that prayer? And we realise how stupid we sound when we say it. But actually, we mean it. God, are you really in control? Are you really saying that? Do you really mean that? And God's very gracious. He lets us pray those prayers, even though they're really stupid prayers. But then God's response after Ananias has prayed that pretty legitimate prayer, really, is the same message. It's just go. Only this time it's a bit shorter, with an exclamation mark on the end of it. And, um, and I just wonder tonight whether there's maybe one or two people here tonight who got God's kind of said something to you, might be life, might be ministry, might be a circumstance you're facing. And you've kind of heard God and you've had that dialogue with God. Are you sure you know what you're doing, God? Um, and God, he's a loving father who's okay with those sort of prayers. But his response stays the same. Yeah, you have heard right. Now I want you to be obedient. And in that moment, we have a choice. We either say, okay, Lord, I'll be obedient to your call. Or we prevaricate a bit longer. Moses was quite good at doing that and developed a stammer in that moment and a few other things that he thought might try and help slow the process of God calling him to do what he was calling him to do. And, you know, can I phone a friend? Can I take a friend with me? You know, and he kind of dragged on the conversation, but God said, I want you to go. And so um, if that's you and you sense God's kind of been provoking you or speaking to you or giving you a command, maybe this is the night where God's putting a bit of an exclamation mark on it and just saying, go, you've heard me right and know that I'm with you. So Father, for all of us, Lord, you're not looking for great gestures, but you are looking for obedience. And sometimes, Lord, we are fearful because we're mortal creatures with limited resources and sometimes a real small mental capacity to understand really what's going on. And we see simply from our perspective, from our history. Like Ananias, we, we know the history, we know the circumstances and we struggle to see beyond that. But you are the God of all creation who is sovereign and glorious and wonderful 
full of redemptive possibilities and opportunities who can see from the beginning to the end and you're the God who's able to bring ludicrous transformation. So when you command us to go, Lord, instead of excuses or anxieties, would you teach us to step into obedience even when the way ahead seems uncertain? Father, may we go because you are the glorious God who goes with us. We never go alone. So for all of us, for those who you're speaking to tonight, would you give us the boldness to step out and to go?